We're closing out our series this afternoon on the secret of singularity. And over the last few weeks, we've covered topics like one thing I ask, one thing I do, one thing I say. And this afternoon, we're going to look at the topic, one thing I know. So if you just take a moment and turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to John chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 24 and 25, and maybe a few of the verses before to give us some context in what God is speaking to us in and through His Word. You know, one of the greatest models on how to be a witness, how to testify about what God has done in your life is found in John 9. It's the healing of a blind man. I'm sure we know the story well. But, you know, in our Christian walk, we can be afraid to share about what God has done in our lives on occasions because maybe you're thinking you're going to end up in some sort of theological debate with someone about how God healed you or how God delivered you or set you free from something. And yet the reality is you and you alone are the greatest authority figure on what God has done in your life. It's important to recognize that. Yes, you have Bible teachers. Yes, you will have cell leaders, great ones as well, I'm sure, in this house. But the greatest person that can testify about what God has done in your life is yourself because it's inherently personal. When you stand on your experience, nobody can deny what has happened to you. The evidence for that is if I invited anyone right now onto the platform, and I may, so be ready, to come and testify about what God has done, you will share deep, personal, and very, very clear experiences about what God has done in your life. This blind man says in verse 25, once I was blind, now I can see. It's as simple as that. He just testifies about what has happened to him. And so you are a powerful witness for Christ. This blind man teaches us how to communicate that. This man is healed by Jesus when being in, by being interrogated by religious leaders. He doesn't prepare a speech. He doesn't get intimidated. He just says, once I was blind, but now I see. And so I want you to take a moment to think about times in your life where maybe you've been blind spiritually, but now you see. How did it make you feel? What did it provoke in you? Did you want to testify about what God had done in that moment? Because everyone here has an experience of interacting and encountering the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's also very, very important for us to know this man did not ask to be healed. Amen? And yet God did something, something very, very profound in his life. So I want you to cultivate an expectancy in your heart that God's going to break in to some stuff in your life. He's going to turn up, so to speak, just when you least expect it and deliver you, set you free, bring joy, bring freedom. And let's be clear, it is a testimony. This man offers an undeniable witness to the truth. His vision has been restored and he's able to see the trap that the Pharisees were about to fall into that he was actually able to navigate his way out of. So their aim, the Pharisees, was to discredit Jesus as a healer and label him as someone who was no more than just a sinner. But the actual outcome was that their own bigoted views and opinions were exposed and their short-sightedness and ignorance. Don't we know that God has a way of turning things around? 
Amen. What they were trying to do to the blind man ended up happening to them themselves. Praise God, yeah? So let's take a moment now and have a look at a little bit of the backstory so we can get more of a context. The Pharisees here had become frustrated at the fact that everyone was starting to worship the Lord. Everyone was loving him. There was adulation for him everywhere he was going. People were following him because of what God was doing in and through his life. They were threatening to ban people from synagogues. They were telling people to discredit him in every single way. And you read earlier in John 9 that they were looking to discredit Jesus from start to finish. They questioned the man about his healing. But they didn't just stop there. When he didn't give the answer that they wanted, which we will get to in a second, they went to his parents to say, hey, was this guy really blind? Y'all saying he's blind, but was he really blind? They were trying to set traps in order to discredit what Jesus had done in this man's life. But every single time, they failed in their efforts because this man refused to be intimidated. They didn't allow himself to be fearful. The parents, they confirmed that he was blind, but they sidestepped all the other questions because they didn't want to get too heavily involved. They basically said, hey, you need to go talk to him. He's old enough because they, the parents, didn't want to get banned from the synagogue at that time. So we find that for the second time in verses 24 and 25, which we'll now focus on, the Pharisees have summoned this blind man again in a desperate attempt to denounce what Jesus had done and to expose the healing as some sort of fraud. They start by saying, we know this man is a sinner. They cry in another attempt that is futile to get this man to deny what Jesus has done. But actually, they receive a very brave, a very accurate challenge in return. The blind man utters the words, whether he is sinner or not, I don't know, but I once was blind, but now I see. So we can see here that the physical eyes of this man were not the only thing to be opened, but he starts with a defiance in what the Pharisees were doing to him, and it resulted in a spiritual awakening in his inner soul, for he was later able to pronounce in the story that Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior of the world. This is a story of emerging and developing childlike faith. Matthew 18, faith like a child gets us into the kingdom. So I want you to take a moment. For some of us, it's a few years ago. The last time that you were a child, as you can remember it, right? And that's in terms of age, maybe eight, nine, ten. And you think about mom or dad. They just tell you to cross the road, right? And you're holding their hand or whatever. You wouldn't even look, right? You just cross the road. Mom or dad put food down. Hopefully it was pizza or pasta. Praise God. You ate it. Why? Mom and dad have the best for me, right? You didn't think, is there anything wrong with this food? You know that they have your best interests at heart all the time. And therefore, you just ate it. That's the sort of childlike faith that we are called to have. Faith that isn't interrupted by life, by deep theology, by experiences, but actually it's punctuated, it's enhanced, it's developed and equipped by the fact that we know who we are, we know what God has called us to do, we are strong in understanding of the word, and we know that God is good in every single moment of our lives. You see, these guys, the Pharisees, had a very, very jealous attitude. They were the religious leaders of the day, and they were intent on discrediting God. But they couldn't even see that he was amongst them. And I sit there and I think to myself, how many times are we guilty of that as Christians? 
that was so busy looking to win an argument, was so busy looking to get into a situation at work that we actually miss that God is in our midst each and every day. He had the power to heal them. He had the power to forgive their sins. He has the authority for eternal life, but they were not open, and they were at enmity with God in that moment. So let's take a look. We'll look at verse 24 now. So again, they called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. They were pressuring this healed man to withdraw his testimony about Jesus. So a question for you to consider this afternoon. Has anyone ever attempted that with you? Has anyone ever tried to discredit, marginalize the impact of what God has done in your life? Maybe at work. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a previous relationship. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's life. Maybe it's a childhood situation with a member of your family. Has anyone ever tried to discredit what God has done in your life? And then if the answer to that is yes, which it probably is if you're living out your Christian faith well, the next question that you should consider is why? Because if something is true, it's true. It's not true today and not true tomorrow. So if what God has done in your life is true, it stays true. So if you were healed of a, a knee injury six months ago, then you were healed of a knee injury six months ago. The same is still true today. But the reality is, as Pastor Colin was speaking on this morning, we will have to learn to stand firm in our faith. People will attempt to discredit what God has done in your life. You will need to stand strong in declaring what God has done in your life. They wanted to say that this miracle of his sight was only a miracle of God and that Christ was a sinner. This guy was not prepared, the blind man, to debate the character of Jesus because it was probably beyond his knowledge. You know, in, in those times, he, he was blind from birth, which we'll explore in a minute, but he would have been uneducated, unschooled. Therefore, he's not going to get into any sort of argument about who Jesus is. So he kind of in that moment kept quiet. But they, were, they put the question to him in a way that would manipulate them, him, sorry, into giving the answer that they wanted. The first words, give God the glory. It's interesting, isn't it? By telling the truth. So the straight implication here is we can interpret it one of two ways. We can look at it and say, well, they're encouraging him to tell the truth, but they're implying kind of you haven't been at this point. Has anyone ever done that with you? Or the other alternative is that they are attempting to discredit what Jesus has done. Here's the reality. Photo number one. Do not be deceived. If you haven't found yourself in situations in life, friends, where people try and manipulate, coerce, or force you to say something, or channel a particular argument or conversation in a way that generates an answer that they want, you need to be smart to this stuff. You know, people frame questions, you know, text messages. Do you ever get text messages of people? They're, they're basically asking you or telling you to do something, but they ask it in a really nice way, yeah? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, like, have you put the dinner on? I mean, I don't get those messages yet. I will at some point, amen. Sorry, just a moment of self-declaration there. <laughs> Praise God. But, you know, you know what I mean. Have you put the dinner on? Have you taken the trash out? It's code for, if you haven't put the dinner on, you haven't taken the trash out, get the dinner on and put, take the trash out. But that's not what we said. And so be careful, because people are smart. The enemy is smart. People are smart. They will try and make you do and say things in a certain way to get you to do one thing, to give them the answer that they ultimately want. They then say, 
We know this man is a sinner. Now, the Pharisees said this because Jesus wasn't obedient in accommodating their man-made laws in that time. And it's worth remembering, they said he was a sinner in spite of the fact this man can now see. Like, they now have that knowledge, this blind man can now see, and they still say that he's a sinner. Think about that for a second. Verse 25. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. So at this point, the blind man makes no attempt to embellish what his understanding is of Jesus. The reality is in that moment, the blind man didn't know Jesus. Remember, at the start, he didn't ask for his healing. The blind man did not have any fear in sharing his testimony. There is no, he has no reason to have any doubts about God. His words imply, I would suggest, that he was starting to, starting to get fairly smart himself because he was using words that would irritate them but kind of answer their question. He said, well, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but I know that he healed me. So photo number two, stand firm. You will get into moments in your life where you will have to stand firm. You are going to have to stand firm in your faith. People are going to test you. People are going to manipulate situations and arguments and conversations to get you to give answers that they want them to, and they will get you to deny what's actually happened to you. This blind man, perceiving he's got nothing to lose, offers no judgment about Jesus. He just brings forward the facts, and he makes an admission in their favor, but kind of ridiculing them. As I said, the blind man didn't know Jesus, but he was aware that Jesus had profoundly impacted his life. There is no argument there. One thing I know. Now, the blind man is undoubtedly aware of other things that are happening in his life, but he, he majors. He has a sole focus on one thing, on what God has done in his life. And I think that's a word for some of us as Christians. You know, we often focus on the things that we don't have. I've just mentioned one. We do need to start focusing on the things that God is doing in our lives. I think it was Pastor Colin a number of months ago, he used an analogy in a, in a, in a sermon about if you had a 500-piece puzzle. Now, I don't do puzzles. I haven't got the time or the patience or the tolerance for them. But run with the analogy for a second. And let's just say it was on the board now, but there was one piece missing on the screen. What are you going to look at? Your eyes, everyone's eyes, are going to focus on the one piece that's missing. Why? Because we always think that we're missing out if we don't have the full thing, the full picture at every time. And I suggest for us as Christians that we have some application points to think about, that we need to actually start celebrating what God has done in our lives, start acknowledging what God has done in our lives, and not sit there thinking, oh, I haven't got this, or I haven't got that. Delay is never denial with the Lord, as I've mentioned. This blind man made one thing clear. He could have talked about a whole bunch of other stuff. He's a man, he's grown. At this point, he would be in his 20s or 30s. So he's had some life experience, but he majors only on one thing. One thing I know. The reality is he's aware of a whole load of things, but he decides in that moment, singular focus. Singular focus on what God has done in my life in that moment. He conveys where he was, blind, and he now communicates where he is. I can see. Now this guy was blind from birth. He had never experienced the beauty and the power of being able to see. Imagine that was you and you just opened your eyes and you could just see. I mean, there'd be a whole lot of stuff going on in your mind, in your heart. You'd be thinking a whole bunch of different things like, what do the lights do? What is the meaning of the carpet? What is, what is this? What is that? You, a whole load of things would be going on in your mind. These Pharisees should have been taking the time to clarify what happened to him. They are trying to get him to discredit it. 
never allow any Christian or non-Christian to discredit what God has done in your life. Just because it hasn't happened for them does not mean it's not not happened for you. In fact, your testimony releases faith and fuels other people to have fresh expectancy for their breakthrough. Hmm? What does Revelation say? We overcome by what? The blood of the Lamb and the power of what? Our testimony. What God has done in each and every one of our lives. We need to start getting better at testifying, but we'll get to that in a moment. Put yourself in the blind man's shoes. What was he thinking? The guy's blind from birth. These guys are harassing him. They're challenging him. They're saying, hey, deny what's happened to you. It's not really true. This guy's a sinner. What are you on about, etc., etc." They should have been helping him in that situation. And he would have known that these guys were teachers in the synagogue. So these are like religious authority figures. This is not a local guy or a fellow guy on the street. The man who was blind finds no enlightenment from his teachers. But now he answers them. Whether he is sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. With that confession, the journey goes one step further. The blind man advances to the truth and the acceptance of who Jesus is. The Pharisees stay trapped in their theological spiderweb. That is not our portion. Our, our object is not to debate Scripture with each other too much. It's healthy, and I enjoy it once in a while myself. But it's not the goal for us as Christians. The goal for us as Christians is to testify at what God has done. They were so convinced that Jesus was a sinner that they could not accept that he was a healer. They were entangled in their views of Christ and they couldn't break free. But by God's grace, the man that was blind was now able to accept the gift of sight. And so even before everything is clear to him, he puts his faith and his trust in Jesus. Maybe that's you this afternoon. I doubt anyone here had a theology degree before they accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Anyone? No. No, because we don't need necessarily to have a theology degree in order to accept Christ. In fact, you don't. You just need faith, trust, and confidence that he is who he says he is. So here's my third point. I thought long and hard before deciding on this, but I did it in the spirit of honesty and transparency. I'm sure many of us will know who this person is when this image comes up on the screen. But I think we need to get better at testifying, friends. So go ahead, put the third image up. Hopefully in a second. Dun, dun, dun. Y'all know who he is, right? Do we know who he is? Can we give God some praise in the house? Now, if you don't know who this man is, I'm not going to go to Wikipedia and give you a brief, brief bio because I believe there are many more esteemed colleagues in the room that I could invite up and they could tell me the albums that he's released over the years. But let's just clarify a couple of things about this guy right here. This guy, you know, is Kanye West, right? So he's a global icon. This man lived in the world, like he was a leading authority. But then Christ broke in. Nobody's beyond the reach of Christ. Now, I, in the spirit of honesty and transparency, used to listen to one or two of his songs, just one or two, just one or two. And I can assure you they are not on my iPhone now, although I suspect 
I suspect they may be on the iPhones of one or two of my colleagues in the room. The, 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 reality, the, the, reality is, the reality is, this guy lived for the world. Now, I do not recommend, and I'm saying that very clearly, do not recommend you go and listen to some of his older music. But let's be clear, this guy went from producing albums using horrendous language, sexually perverse language, all sorts of imagery that you, you guys know it. He's now released gospel albums. Like, like, that's called transformation. Hello? Hello? Right? And this guy can't shut up now. I have some friends that hosted him in a church in America. 1,500 people led to Christ. Now, he is using the platform that he once was given by the enemy to promote horrendous music. And God has shifted it 180 degrees that this guy is now using the same platform, reaching the same people on his Instagram and his Snapchat and his... He probably hasn't got WhatsApp, but you know what I mean. All these different platforms, y'all know what I'm talking about. To reach what? And he, he is not backwards and coming forwards, by the way. Go online, watch some of the interviews at various churches, in, in the, particularly in the southern states of the U.S. He's gone into prisons. And you know, because of his previous life, he already has authority with people. Yeah? That guy walks into the room, people listen. And he's now using the very platform that he had to further the kingdom. That is learning to testify openly, clearly, definitively, unashamedly about what God is doing in his life. And you know the thing about that? Is it bleeds over. So if you follow, and I don't recommend that you necessarily follow them, but all it starts with is one guy. And then you read about other rap stars like P. Diddy going to T.D. Jake's church and wanting his kids to get baptized. And then you see there's a pattern starting to emerge where God breaks in. It's almost like a crack in a dam. And then the dam bursts. And souls come into the kingdom. Why? Because the man is unashamedly prepared to testify. He's prepared to go further than anyone else. And he is a global icon. So he stands on platforms and stages. And he will have no doubt people who are atheists, people who liked his previous music, writing horrendous stuff on his Instagram, attacking his wife, his kids, everything. He don't care. He's like, I know what happened to me, and I'm not denying it, and I'm not going to let anyone discredit it. And the guy knows the Lord, by the way, a few months probably. And yet, if you listen to his gospel album, there's probably more theology in those gospel album than there is on, in your average church on a Sunday. And I just want to say from the platform as well, I'm going to be careful with how I say this, but reading some of the stuff on Facebook about how some Christians felt that this man was almost having to audition for his salvation, I found horrendous. Yeah? The guy's made a very clear public declaration in Jesus. We should celebrate that. We shouldn't be picking through the bones of what he did or didn't do. Yeah? Because it didn't happen with me. It didn't happen with you. And he has far more pressure. Oof. Got some stuff off my chest. <laughs> the blind man says, I only know that I was blind and now I can see. Let's be clear. This man does not exaggerate or embellish the truth. If you want to have credibility, which is one of the, in credibility and integrity are one of the few currencies left in the world of any value, call it down the line. Yeah? So if somebody cut you a check for 500 quid, don't say it was 1,000. 
but we have a habit as Christians sometimes of slightly exaggerating or over-embellishing to present a slightly healthier, stronger story. No, no, just call it down the line because that's what God did do in your life. The moment you start lying about what God did because you want to impress man, the blessing's withdrawn. The very thing that was a blessing can become a curse. So blind spots. Ooh, let's navigate this for a second. Anyone got any? If you don't, that's probably a blind spot. I've got one. I'm stubborn. Bet you didn't know that. <laughs> Shock horror over here. No, if, if I go into Burger King, it's, it's a Whopper every time. McDonald's, it's always a Big Mac. If I go into Pizza Express, it's always a Sloppy Giuseppe. I'm boring. I'm a guy that's stubborn. I know what I like. I like what I know. But I would encourage you, five application points. I hope you can take some notes on this. First thing, identify your blind spots. We've all got them. And if you're not sure, speak to a brother in the Lord or an actual brother. Speak to your wife, husband, girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever. They will be very honest with you. I'm sure they will. In the spirit of love, they will communicate the truth. So that's application point number one. Number two, recognize God is going to turn up in your life when you least expect it. This man, as I said, did not ask to be healed, and yet God did it. So I want you to be open to that. Don't focus on the problem, focus on the Lord. Continue to walk with him. Number three, the blind man, he's uneducated. So no, you don't need a theology degree to testify about what God has done in your life. God will always qualify the called. He doesn't always call the qualified. So in your journey, in your story, you're called to reach people and connect with people that other people are never going to get connected to, except if you do it. So if you don't learn to step out, like these baptism candidates are today, in faith in something, if you don't learn to declare wholeheartedly what God has done in your life, how on earth do you expect somebody else to believe you when we're not really sure about what we think ourselves? So I encourage you, be clear, be definitive in that. Number four, irrespective of external purposes, pressure, sorry, from other people or groups, do not be intimidated. Yeah? Pastor Colin has spoken extensively about how as Christians we're going to be challenged, we're going to be castigated, we're going to be marginalized. You can allow that or not. That's your choice. Each and every day you have a choice to make. Are you going to stand up for what you believe in or are you going to withdraw and kind of remove yourself from the process? Do not ever allow anyone to distort or diminish what God has done in your life. Ever. Don't let anyone challenge it. Don't let anyone question it. If it happened to you, it happened to you. And it happened to you for a reason. You should celebrate that. So nobody will ever do that with me. You could try, but it won't work. Because I know what God has done in my life. And so do most of you. And number five. Always, always, always testify about what God has done. There is absolutely no reason not to. If you were to think of going on holiday somewhere, you've not even got there and you're checking in on Facebook. Why? Because you're wanting to testify about where you're going. And then when you get there, my goodness, photos on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat, every, why? You're wanting to tell everyone where you are, who you're with and what you're doing. You're not backwards and coming forwards in those moments. So why would you be backwards in, for, in, in coming forwards in sharing what God has done in your life? Hmm? 
because we're scared. We're fearful. I've told this, said this before, and I'll say this again. The only purpose of fear is paralysis. It's to stop you doing whatever it is God has called you to do in that moment. So if you don't have any fear, and we know that perfect love casts out all fear, then we should be able to testify gloriously, gloriously about what God has done. And we could be able to wax lyrical and, and share about what God has done. And it just has to be simple. It has to be from the heart. It has to be clear and profound. Because in doing that, you release others. You permission other people to dream and to believe God for the very, very best. But without that, it doesn't happen. They only have a shell of the experience. And consider this as well. God has no grandchildren. Yeah? So you can't live your Christian journey through your cell leader, through Pastor Colin, through the worship team, through me, through Pastor Amanda, anyone. You're a son or a daughter of the Father, which is a direct relationship in natural family lineage.